I'm in a series entitled The Truth About. Last weekend, I spoke about the truth about heaven. This weekend, we're going to talk about the truth about hell. What does the Bible say about hell? Now, I don't want anybody to be afraid or scared or have anxiety. We're just going to see what the Scripture has. At the end of this service, we're going to give an altar moment. And I would like to just say to the Westover family that's in the room, we believe that God changes hearts and the altar moment is important. And with that, can I make a request? When we go to altar moments, will you please stay in the service and not race out to just get ahead five minutes earlier, two minutes earlier than someone else? We don't want anything disturbing why God is talking to hearts. And we want to respect and protect the anointing and the Holy Spirit speaking in altar. So I'm going to ask you, always in our services, hold until we give the formal dismissal. Thank you for that. So with that in mind, we're going to talk about the truth about hell. Why talk about hell? Well, there's a phrase today that's in our society, in our culture, in our language. It kind of came about from the, from the violence and the terrorism that's now a part of the American culture, and it's this phrase, if you see something, say something. Well, with that in mind, I see something, so I'm saying something. I'm going to speak on the subject of hell, okay? Most people think when you talk about hell, it, it's offensive and it sounds unloving. Let me just ask you a moment. Is it unloving for a parent to scold and absolutely uh, refuse to let a small child have access to chemicals or any poisons or pesticides? No, it's not. It's to protect them. It's to inform them. Is it offensive or uncaring for a fireman to kick in the door, go in a burning building and rescue somebody from that? No. Is it offensive for a doctor to say, we need to remove a part of your body, a, a, an organ, in order to save your life because you have a malignancy? Of course not. So the same thing on this subject. You see, the subject of hell has nothing to do with destruction. It has everything to do with destiny. And most of the time when we think about hell, we're thinking about in terms of destruction, and we fail to see the Bible teaches us it's a place of destiny. We fail to take sin and judgment serious today because we fail to take God seriously today. In American culture, we kind of made God this uh, public servant. We kind of made God the customer service. And when we go, we complain and we want God to make everything better and comfortable for us. And we look at the Bible as the, the Bible should only enhance our suburban Christianity lifestyle. And it should never impose upon us. And it should never challenge our thinking. The Bible teaches something very different. And for this message, I want to address and teach on this subject, the truth about hell. There are seven things I want to share with you what the Bible says about hell. And number one, and we're going to read scripture with every one of them so we understand it comes from the Bible. Number one. God wants all people to be saved and escape the judgment of hell. Please get that in your mind. God wants all people to be saved and escape the judgment of hell. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9, here's what the Bible says. The Lord is not slow keeping His promises. Some people understand slowness. Instead, He, the Lord, is patient 
with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Here's what the Bible is saying. When it comes to God's promises, be they provision, blessing, goodness, health, healing, restoration, grace, understanding. God said he's never slow. God, God wants to give it and God wants to give lavishly to us. But here's what God says. There is one promise. God will always be slow in giving. And that's the promise that wrongdoing will be judged. It's the promise that those who do evil will experience judgment. And God says, that's one promise I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be quick to give out. There's one promise I'm going to hold back on. Instead of giving it when it should be given, giving it at the moment it should be given, here's what God is saying. I'm going to hold back. I'm going to be patient. One version says, long-suffering. God is going to hold back judgment as long as possible because he's not wanting anyone to perish but all people to come to repentance. Number two, we understand about hell. Everyone can be saved, but not everyone will be saved. Everyone can be saved, but not everyone will be saved. Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. He says there's a broad road and there's a narrow road. Now the broad road, many people are going to find it, but the broad road leads to destruction. And we learn from that, guess what? It's easy to fail today. It's easy to get caught in a lifestyle. Why is it so easy to do the wrong thing and it's so challenging to do the right thing? Because broad is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the road that leads to life. Now, it's not narrow because God doesn't want you to find it. God says it's narrow because there's, there's expectations and, and God has requirements. Everyone can find the road, but not everyone will find the road. God intends for as many people as possible to be saved. He wants everyone to come to salvation. There is a doctrine that's sometimes taught called limited atonement. I want to push back on the doctrine of limited atonement. Nowhere in the Bible, and I would challenge anyone, this Bible does not teach limited atonement. It does not say God's going to save these people and God forgets about these people. God chooses or predestines some people to heaven and God predestines some people to hell. God does not do that and the Bible does not teach that. He's wanting all people to come to repentance and God doesn't want anyone to perish. Number three, understanding about hell. God never intended... God never intended anyone other than the devil to be in hell. God, the Bible tells us it's clear. God never intended anyone other than the devil to be in hell. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, verse number 41, and he said, and he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. God never intended one human being to ever go to hell. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. Let me explain. You know the devil, Satan, was once an archangel in heaven? And one day as an archangel in heaven, here's what he did. He said, I am not going to live by God's standards. I'm going to rebel against God. And he convinced a certain portion of the angels in heaven to follow him. And 
As a result of that, they rebelled against God. They didn't want to follow God's pattern and God's way. And God said, okay, Satan, devil, you don't want God. You don't want the kingdom. You don't want to follow God. You don't want to be in heaven. And the Bible says he was cast out. Revelation chapter 12 says this, that when he was cast out of heaven, he took a third of the angels with him. And there was a place that God says, there's going to be a place in eternity I will not be. You didn't want me. You didn't want to be a part of me. This is a place I will never go. This is a place my presence will never be. This is a place my spirit will never be. And the absence of God created hell. Just like the, the absence of atmosphere on Venus or Mars creates a dormant and a, and a bland and a lifeless planet. The absence of created hell. The absence of God created hell. And hell was created only for the devil and his angels. God never intended one human being to ever go to hell. It was not God's intent. And I want to add to that, anybody today that goes to hell will go over God's objections. God's going to say, no, that's not what I have for you. His voice is going to speak to them. God's going to pound on the door of their heart and God's going to say to them, you don't have to do this. That's not where you're to be. That's not what I intended you to do. That's not what I want you to do. God's heart is to redeem and bring fallen man back into the family of God and back into fellowship with the Lord. Number four, what does the Bible tell us about hell? Hell is the place of eternal punishment after death. A place of eternal punishment after death. Matthew chapter 25, verse number 46, it says, And they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Grab that. See that. The wicked to eternal punishment, and the righteous to eternal life. Now, there's a few things that's in that statement from Jesus. The first thing is, there's no purgatory. There's no in-between. You don't go into this in-between and then figure it out later and then you go to heaven or hell. At death, at death, that is judgment. And some go into heaven, the righteous do, and some go into hell. And hell is real and hell is sobering and hell is biblical. And I want to also say, don't ever tell somebody to go to hell. Don't ever do that. We glibly use the word hell, and I want to call every Christ follower in this room. If you have the habit in your vocabulary, it's a colloquialism, in frustration to use the word hell as an adjective or an adverb and to describe the day you've had when it hasn't gone your way or when you're mad at somebody, don't ever use the word hell glibly. It's sobering. It's a place of eternal punishment after death. And we as believers, we need to revere and respect that and not use that glibly. And one thing we learn about hell is it's a place of unending experience, eternal punishment. There is a teaching that's going around. It's very popular among the millennials today. And the millennial, young adults, you, you, you're probably reading articles and teachings on this and even some Christian books. And I'm going to push back on this doctrine very hard. It's the doctrine called universalism. 
Universalism says it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something in your heart and you have a spiritual awareness in your heart. Eventually, everybody gets to heaven. Universalism even teaches that you may not believe in God here and you may not follow the Lord now and you may die and you may go to hell, but hell, according to universalism, is kind of a temporary place. It's kind of like God's time out. It's kind of like when a, when a parent tells the child, go in the corner and you sit there for a while. And they sit there for two minutes. They sit there for five minutes, sit there for ten minutes. And then finally say, mom and daddy, I'm sorry for what, you, what I've done. And then mom and daddy says, okay, you can come out and go about your life. Universalism is teaching today that, yes, there may be a hell. It may or may not have fire, according to universalism. But it's God's divine time out. And you're going to sit in the corner until you finally learn for yourself God was right. And when you finally say, I'm sorry, Lord, then he's going to say, go ahead and come on in and enjoy the pleasures of heaven. I'm going to push back on that. I'm going to say very emphatically, this Bible does not give permission and does not teach universalism. In fact, to even suggest that somebody could get into heaven after death by their own enlightenment is an insult to the cross of Christ. It is saying that what Jesus Christ did on the cross was not sufficient and His redeeming blood was not a big enough sacrifice and in the afterlife you can figure it out and come to your senses and you can get into heaven. That insults the cross of Christ and that is anti-gospel. Here's what the Bible does say. Acts chapter 4, verse number 12. There is only one name given among all men whereby you must be saved. One name among men under heaven. Did you ever notice that in the verse? Under heaven. In other words, you have heaven and under heaven, earth, hell, everything else. And across the board, there's only one place you get from here to into heaven. And that is the name of Jesus, where you have to call upon the name of the Lord. There is no book you will read. There's no personal enlightenment you will have in the afterlife. If we do not make a peace with God in this life, we have chosen by our own rebellion the eternal punishment of hell. Number five I share with you, hell is a fiery judgment with degrees of punishment. Most Christ followers don't understand this. Most Christ followers don't understand that in hell there are degrees of punishment. Literally, there are hotter sections of hell. Listen what Jesus taught us in Luke chapter number 12, verse number 47. The servant who knows his master will and does not get ready or does not do what the master want, wants will be beaten with many blows. Romans chapter 2 says some people are storing up wrath and judgment against themselves. What is that teaching? There are degrees of punishment in hell. What's God saying? God's saying, I'm just. God's saying, I'm just. There are some people, because of their sin, because of their heinous acts, their judgment in hell will be meted out to the wickedness they had in this life. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 18, 
For example, if you harm one of those children, if a child is harmed, better a millstone tied around your neck and you thrown into the bottom of the sea. Anyone that hurts a little child, God says, I will punish them and multiply their torment in the afterlife. Genocide. Witchcraft. Occasionally I'll have parents say, you know what, my son and daughter are kind of exploring and looking in and studying a God of book or, or downloading some stuff on the internet about witchcraft. What should I do? You need to take every file they have and you need to eliminate it. You need to burn the book. Don't allow it in your house. Don't give any place to it because the Bible says there are some things that is absolutely forbidden and any dabbling into it, your punishment will be multiplied in the afterlife, witchcraft or the occult. Yes, genocide, serial rapist. Yes, they, there is some sin, God said, I'm going to punish the Hitlers, the Joseph Stalins, the drug cartels that are brutalizing people across the border. God says those people, there will, they will be assigned to a greater punishment in the afterlife because there are degrees of punishment in hell. Let's go on. Number six. Number six. If you don't catch anything else I say today, let me plant this in your heart. Please grab this truth. Hell is populated by people who reject God, not by people God hates. Please grab that. Hell is populated by people that have rejected and turned their heart away from the Lord, not by people God hates. God is not cranky. God's not mad. God's not hateful towards some people. It's because people reject God. Occasionally I'll have somebody approach me and say, Now come on, Pastor. How can a loving God send people to hell? You ever heard that? Co-worker? Yes. Here's my response. God, God doesn't send people to hell. God sent His Son to redeem people from hell. Mankind, humanity, rebelled against God and we were doomed. Our default was judgment in hell. But God would not sit on the sideline. God would not just let us go to hell. God got involved. He came to this earth in the form of Jesus and He died upon the cross to redeem us from hell. God is involved in what we're doing. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, the punishment for our sin, the punishment of hell, and the punishment for our sin was upon Him, Jesus willingly took that punishment in our behalf. So hell is populated by people who reject God because God has given every one of us a gift and it's called free will. Free will. Nobody can tell you how you feel. Nobody can tell you how you think. People sometimes say, I'm the product of my environment. No, you're the product of your choices. We choose. No one forces us to do anything we choose in this life. We make a choice. And those who choose not to receive Jesus and not receiving Jesus, they have made their choice. I want you to join me in John chapter 3. We all know John 3.16 and most of us, if I quoted that verse, you would begin to mouth the words and speak that verse because you know it by heart. But I want us to look at verse 15, 16, 17, and 18. Let's capture all of this. This is what the Bible says. That everyone 
who believes may have eternal life in him. Please capture that. Everyone, everyone who believes, red and yellow, black and white, doesn't matter who, everyone who believes in him can have eternal life. Believing is what takes the difference between us going to heaven or hell. There is a wrong concept of judgment in most believers' minds. Most believers have a scale. And the idea is if the scale of your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you get to go to heaven. No. Our scale is weighted. Our bad deeds are so great, we can never do enough good deeds to turn the scale. So what did God do? He planted a bloody cross on the other side of that scale so all of us would have redemption. And His only requirement is that you need to believe. Now John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. That one phrase, how do you escape hell? You believe that Jesus Christ is God's one and only Son. There it is. It's as clear in the gospel as can be. Let's continue reading verse number 17 and following. Here it is. For God did not send His Son in the world to condemn the world. Next time your neighbor or your coworker tells you, why does God send people to hell? You read them, John 3.17. He didn't come to send people to hell. He came to take people to heaven. People go to hell because they choose not to believe. That's why they go to hell. He sent His Son in the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. For who believe, whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. God doesn't have to condemn them. They're condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And here it is. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, hell is avoidable and not inevitable. Jesus provides salvation. And what does it mean? It means making Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. There's one difference between heaven and hell, and it's not good deeds and bad deeds. That's why the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness. What is it? You believe that Jesus Christ is God's one and only Son. And in just a few moments, I'm going to give people in this room the chance to make that opportunity. You're 80% there. You believe in God. But you have never said, Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. And I'm going to give you a chance to do that. Some of you are saying, but you don't know how bad I am. You don't know what I've done. It can't be that easy. I, I, surely I've got to do this, this, and this, and this, and this. And God's saying, no. I'm not going to let you work for it. Because if I let you work for it, the strong would have it and the weak would be without. I'm not going to let you buy it because if I would let you buy it, the rich would have it and the poor would be without. I'm going to make it a gift. The gift of God is eternal life. It's a gift. And God presents a gift. And when we say, I believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, we receive that gift into our heart. And God writes our name in the book of life. And our citizenship changes from darkness and now we're assigned to heaven and we have no part of hell because God never intended us to be in hell. Number seven, and the last point I share with you, God goes to great length to save. Can I put that in our spirit? 
God goes to great length to save his people. God will go to great length to save. God's not mad. God's not hiding. God's not angry. God goes to great length to save people. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 and verse 20. Let me reach into that chapter. Here's what scripture says. Surely, I love this. Surely, the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. He can reach into bar rooms. He can reach people in alternate lifestyles. He can reach people that are in their their condos and they're, they're behind a wall of success and think they need nothing. God can reach me. His arm is not shortened that it cannot save. Yes, nor is his, hear, is his ear dull to hear. Notice this verse number 20. The Redeemer will come to those who repent of the sin, their sins. I like that. The Redeemer, what does he do? He will come to them. If you'll just say, Jesus, forgive me, he'll come to you. There's, it's never too late. It's never too late. Somebody's not too far from God that God cannot redeem and God won't redeem. His arm's not shortened. His ear's not dull. But if anyone will call upon the Redeemer, Jesus, he will come to them. And some of us have unsaved loved ones we're praying for. In this room, there are people, you have a daughter, a son, a grandson, a granddaughter, a spouse, and your heart aches because you know they don't know Christ. And you've wondered, will they face eternity without Jesus? And you don't want to see them face that judgment and that, that torment and that punishment for not knowing Jesus. And your heart aches and you're saying, God, save them, save them. And you've watched them take a few steps forward and then all of a sudden five steps back. And your heart sinks and you're wondering, will they ever come God will you ever reach them and I want to encourage you with a story from the Bible if you'll allow me it's the story of Mary Joseph and Jesus the holy family here is what the Bible tells us Joseph and Mary they're in a little village called Nazareth and then all of a sudden Caesar Augustus will give a decree and he said you have to go and register so Mary and Joseph they get together Mary's great with child. She's about to give birth to the baby Jesus. Joseph will put her upon an animal and they will begin the arduous trek to Jerusalem and almost there they reach a little village called Bethlehem. Bethlehem is populated by about three to four hundred people at the time and then all of a sudden she goes into labor according to the prophecy and she gives birth to one called Jesus and his name is Jesus because he saves people from their sin child is born. Sometime after that, it appears the wise men came and presented to them gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then all of a sudden, something startling happens in the story. It's recorded in the Bible. Herod, who is in Jerusalem just a few miles away, he hears that there's one born king of the Jews. He's threatened. He's going to annihilate them. He's able to do that. History records he murdered three of his sons that were a threat to his own kingdom. 
his own son. He said, I'm going to slaughter every child in Bethlehem age two and under. He gives the order. The soldiers get together. They pull out their swords, and they're making the journey to Bethlehem. And the angel of the Lord Gabriel comes and whispers to Joseph's heart, get up. Herod has a plot to kill the children of Bethlehem. Get up and go into Egypt and you stay into Egypt until the angel of the Lord comes and tells you it's safe to come back to the Holy Land. They'll be there in Egypt for two years waiting, for two years waiting until Herod dies. So in the middle of the night, Joseph gets Mary up, puts her on the animal. Mary has little baby Jesus in her arms. And they have the treasury of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How did they live in Egypt for two years? The treasures the wise men gave them. They, they had the equivalent of two years' salary. Imagine that. Imagine you're carrying in your pocket and in your purse, in your purse, in your purse right now, two years' salary. That, 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 you wouldn't do that today. I mean, somebody could rob you just knowing that. If you had that kind of, of, of cash and that kind of treasure on you, it would be dangerous today. Well, they were traveling across the desert with two years salary in their possession. Something no one did. For you see, out in the, out in the desert in the journey, there are bandits and thieves. No one would ever journey outside of the cities unless they were in a large caravan where there was safety. But here, Mary and Joseph are journeying by night and they're making the journey down there by themselves with two years of salary. And sure enough, according to legend, they were accosted by thieves and bandits. They were attacked. The bandits seized them, and the outcome would have been, the outcome would have been, Mary would have been abused by the bandits. Joseph would have been murdered, and the baby would have been sold into slavery, and they would have been pillaged of all their wealth. But according to legend, leader of this band of thieves. He picked up the baby Jesus and looked into his face and there was an countenance and there was a presence about that baby. He was caught and awestruck and he said, let them pass. He gave an order to the whole, bands of, whole band of thieves, you do not harm them. They pass and no one is to harm them pick up the biblical story they're in Egypt two years and they come back now let me fast forward 30 years later 30 years later Jesus is dying on a cross he's been brutalized my sin and your sin he's hanging with a breath of life in him and any moment he's gonna he's gonna die on the cross and give his life the Bible records on either side of Jesus, he was crucified between two thieves, one on either side. Yes, you're right. Yes, you're right. Your mind is with me. The thief on the right side was that man that they saw 30 years earlier that looked in the face of that Christ child and was awestruck by his presence and said, let him pass. There's something about him. And that man dying on the cross in Jesus' right hand, dying for his crimes and his sin, 
the penalty being executed by Rome. Just before he dies, he reaches over and he sees the face of Jesus, a face he remembered 30 years ago. And that's why he said to Jesus on the cross, Remember me? Remember me? I remember you. I remember me. And Jesus said this to him today. You're going to be with me in paradise. And here's what I want you to know. There was one thief who had an encounter with God. And for 30 years, he walked away from it. For 30 years, he put God on the back burner. For 30 years, a life of crime and pillaging. But right before death, he had an appointment with God again. He had an appointment with God, and he looked in the face of Jesus, and all he said is, remember me. And Jesus said, you're going to be in my kingdom. And I want to say to everyone praying for a loved one, Everyone, you have somebody that's on your heart, you keep praying. You don't give up because their last conversation this side of eternity is going to be with God. Their last conversation before they leave this life, God has an appointment with them. And they're going to look in the face of Jesus and one more time, they're going to hear God's Spirit call to them and offer them eternal life and all they need to say to Jesus in that time is yes and they're in the kingdom that's the love of God God does not give up and I want to encourage you you pray and you believe and you hold on for the salvation of your unsaved loved one would you stand together with me balcony and main floor And I'm going to invite us right now, balcony and main floor, if you'll bow your heads, please. And I invite you to close your eyes. Why do I do this? Because I want you to have a private moment with God, not distracted. This is the most important decision you're going to make in your life. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that today. The first invitation. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, You can do it today. Maybe you said in another time, in another place, I don't believe in God. Maybe, maybe you've been too busy. Maybe you feel like you've wandered too far from God. Maybe you said, I've done too much and God won't, God won't hear me. God won't have anything to do with me. That's not true. That's not true. That thief on the cross reminds us God never gives up. And you can come to the Father today. If you're ready to give your heart to Jesus, you can do that today. You can personalize the experience with God today. And on the count of three, if you're ready to do that, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Your hand going up is not joining this church. Your hand going up is not saying you believe everything and you figured it all out and you can explain it. No, it's not that. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. Your hand going up does not mean you're perfect. Your hand going up just simply means I need Jesus. I know better. I, I want to I live for the Lord. I'm not here to scare you. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here to, to dangle flames in front of you to scare you. I want you to make a heart decision for Jesus because you love him. 
God loves you. But if that's you, on the count of three, raise your hand. And here it is, the most important question you'll be asking in your life. Are you ready to receive Jesus? One, two, three. That's me. Just raise your hand and hold it up. Raise your hand, hold it up. Yes, in the balcony. Thank you. Thank you. On the main floor. The main floor in the balcony. Thank you. All across this room, there are people saying, I want to settle it with God today. Just hold your hand up a minute. Allow me to allow me to guide you in a moment. Your hand is up because you're saying, God, include me. Can I tell you, God will do it right up in the balcony, right where you're at. God will include you. As you call on the Lord and you ask Jesus to come into your heart, the Bible says, if they will call upon the Redeemer and repent, He will come to them. He will come to you right now in the balcony. He will come to you right where you're seated. He will come to you if you'll call upon Him and say, I need you. And I'm going to invite you to do that. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now across this room. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, there are hands all over this room, the balcony and main floor. It's not perfect people. We haven't figured it all out. But God, one thing we do know, you're loving and you've never given up. You have every reason to give up on us, but you haven't. Thank you for that, God. And I pray over them. I pray over the man that feels like God. He, he can't fully understand it, can't fully grasp it. He's, been, he's had to do it on his own his whole life. Everything has been pull himself up by the bootstraps. But he's never been able to pull himself to the point of feeling fully loved by God. And now he says, Lord, come into my heart. God, you're going to reach down to him. You're going to reach down to the person that's caught in a lifestyle and an addiction that has control of them. And you're going to free them from that. Because they call upon the Lord and they repent. God, you're going to, you're going to rescue them from that. You're going to rescue us, God, from our mistakes, some intentional and some unintentional. Some of us have have wrecked our lives, but you haven't given up on us. God, thank you for that. And we're all the thief on the cross today. We're all deserving of punishment, but through Jesus we have an escape, and I just pray, God, extend your life and your forgiveness to people all over this room. And I speak blessing upon them. I speak blessing upon these these men in the balcony. God, just come to them. Come to this this lady in the balcony. Young man to my right in the balcony. God, just, just honor his faith today. Make him new in Christ Jesus. God, bless the lady down here who feels incomplete without you. God, just... Just let her sense she's coming home, full circle back to the Lord. I pray that over them, the salvation of the Lord. And now across this room, if you have an unsaved relative, loved one you're praying for, a son, a daughter, a son-in-law, a grandson, a granddaughter, somebody you know, you love, you know they're not serving the Lord. I want you to lift your hand. We're going to pray over them right now. Would you do it? 
I'm going to raise my hand for my brother. He needs God. You have a brother. You have a son. You have a daughter. They need God. We're going to pray over them now. Father, right now, we have loved ones that have never come to faith in Christ, and some have come and wandered away. Some we can't even talk to about the things of the Lord. They, they have resistance. Some they get angry. Some they shut us out. Some they avoid us just because they know that we're a person of faith. And I pray, God, for our loved ones. The Holy Spirit will reach out to them with conviction and draw them in. There's some conversations we want to have, but they won't allow us. But Holy Spirit, you can have the conversation with them when they're alone in the room. You can awaken them at 2.30 in the morning, and you can speak to their conscience. You can speak to them when they're driving down the road. You can speak to them in their moments of success and their moments of failure. You can sober them up in moments, God, when they're trying to anesthetize their life and their unhappiness with, with addictions. You can bring a soberness to their heart, and I pray you do that. I pray they'll be reminded by the love of God. They'll be reminded by the Spirit of God. They have a purpose God, you want them in your kingdom. I pray, God, they'll be drawn to you. I pray, God, their spirits will be drawn to you. Awaken in their heart a desire for God and a desire for the things of God. I'm praying right now, God, vicariously. There, there are single adults in here. Their, their spouse that was to be turned away from the Lord. And that spouse has never found Jesus, but God, you have a life for them. And if they'll come to the Lord, you have somebody already selected for them as a partner for life. Their best life is found in you. God, I pray for them. I call them into the kingdom of God. I call their soul in. I call their purpose in. Not to be spent in sin in life, but God, to be spent and use for the kingdom of God. And we ask for their soul in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. For everyone in here that you prayed the prayer to receive Christ, according to the Bible, I have the privilege of welcoming you into the family of God because of Jesus. Thank you for being with us. God bless you. Go in the love of the Lord.